for sure. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm more of like an introverted person, personally. What makes you say that? Like, I, I can talk about like really minute things, like forever, or stupid crap. Right. And then I get to the point where it's like something actually meaningful, and then I'm just like, nah. That's like the one basement. Really? Yeah. I never. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I I talked about it in the last podcast too. I the idea behind like me starting it randomly is you don't have to deal with like the three, the awkward two, intro. one. I was kind of mentally Go. ready for the three, two, one. Oh, you were? Yeah, because I had this whole thing right. I was like gonna hype you up because I, I really do like what you're doing. Like I, I do. Really? I, I think it's really cool. Um, you know, and I, I had an idea one time to make a podcast. Why didn't you do it? Just never got around to it. Yeah, I do a lot of stuff. I'm a busy busy mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. It is going to be called Not Your Mama's Catholic Podcast. <laughs> and we're going to break down all these ideas of the faith, but that's kind of more applicable to young kids right. or teenagers. That's, uh, that's a lot of the idea behind this podcast is to offer relatable content to somebody who's our age. Because, like, as much like as much as I enjoy listening to, like, the other podcasts that I listen to, like, the most obvious one is Joe Rogan, right? Oh, of course. Like, is mine? Oh, yeah. I love listening to Joe Rogan, but, like, he's hilarious, but as a teenager, like, a lot of times I find myself being, like, I just don't know what that's like yet. I don't know what it's like to, like, work a job from nine to five, five days a week. Yeah, the relatability is yeah, really there. Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to, like, make something where, like, you talk about high school, you talk about having a high school part-time job, you talk about going and playing golf on the <laughs> weekend, like, just, like, random things like that. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm happy to do it, man. I, I, like I said, I wouldn't record three in a day if i didn't enjoy it yeah if you didn't have passion for it yeah like i thir- i thoroughly enjoy it and, and that's what's interesting too right um because there's like intrinsic value in meaningful conversation yeah i and, completely agree humans are very social animals mm-hmm. if we go back to the evolutionary stages of who we are yeah and it's kind of weird because there's kind of a line that's kind of put separation between the idea of who we are as people and kind of who God created us to be, to right. a degree, right? Yeah. And there's not really supposed to be a line because we're supposed to complement each other. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something about having a good, meaningful conversation with somebody that everyone's just naturally drawn to. Right. And, like, I mean, I had mentioned it before, like, having a nice, meaningful conversation with, like, your friends at, in, like, a hot tub or, like, at a, around a bonfire is, like, one of the more, like, um, like, uh, beneficial things like to your just to your mind yeah like more interpersonal exactly like interacting with other people and like having a really genuine conversation is like really important but like i'm really happy to have you on here for everybody that doesn't know this is jacob holly i'm sure you recognize his voice pretty recognizable but (laughs) jacob holly welcome i'm i'm really excited for this podcast i'm amped you know when you suggested the idea that you're going to start a math class last Mm year yeah a podcast last year math class Mm -hmm. i was amped from the start yeah and then it got to the point where it's my time to be on it Mm -hmm. and this whole past week i had this fever dream running through my head good, good topic something that's relatable and beneficial right right and i don't know but it almost gets to a degree where it seems more forced than exactly. a natural conversation. And I think that's why I a lot of times try to avoid being like, like every almost every time that I have someone on there like, do you have like a script or like something like we can like start on? And I'm like, no. And like I just started, I just press record randomly. 
So that way you can kind of just, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I just press record randomly. So you like, it's just supposed to be like me talking to you. And I mean, I pride myself on my ability to talk to other people. Like I just, it's something that I do a good job. Thank you. But that's just something that I like think I do pretty well. So I don't like it. Like I, I enjoy it when people have things that they want to talk about. Like, if you come on here and you want it, like, John Henry, for example. John Henry is, like, a good example. Like, John Henry, like, had things in mind that he wanted to bring up while it was on the podcast, and it was awesome. But, I mean, every other one was just me talking. And, like, Will, obviously, had a basis for what he was going to talk about, but that was totally different. Like, so, you know, it's just more about, like, enjoying making the podcast itself. How did you learn how to do this? So, everybody makes fun of my ad that I have on here which is, like, the only way that I make money. But everybody made fun of my ad. But, like, legitimately, I was in personal finance class, and I had wanted to make a podcast forever, and I had been talking about it forever. And while I was in that class, somebody came in and mentioned that they had a podcast. And I just raised my hand and asked, like, what they used to make it. That was literally it. And and they were like, Anchor, yeah. They were like, I use this app called Anchor. Like, it's actually, like, as stupid as it sounds, it's actually really easy. And, like, I, I enjoy doing it. But, like... So, the first episode was actually the hardest to, like, even, like, looking at episodes now versus then, it was it's by far the hardest I've had to, like, work on an episode, because I had to, like, adjust the audio, I had to adjust, like, this night, it was my first time using the microphone, like, there were a lot of just different things that I had to, like, adapt to that I didn't anticipate, but, uh, yeah, so, like, I just... Main thing was, like, the first time I started recording with Will. Actually, like, nobody knows this, but, like, the first take I did with Will isn't, doesn't exist. Probably you should drop it. Like, I didn't, it's, like, 20 minutes, and the reason it's 20 minutes is because I didn't know anything about the app, so I, like, downloaded Anchor, and I was like, oh, I just press record, and then I, yeah, right, and then I pressed record and, like, cut off after 20 minutes and was like, you can't record for longer than this, and then, like, I would have had to record for 20 minutes and then record for 20 minutes like over and over and over again and then I went to you the next day and I was like hey what and you were like why don't you just do it in GarageBand and then upload it onto the app and I was like it's a good idea so that's what I do now that's what you do now mm-hmm. I mean you can yeah. Awesome. yeah it's right here I always got it going but like so then like that next take with Will I started on GarageBand it's recording for it and now all my episodes are over an hour long so like I mean Initially, it was a process, but I mean, editing audio really isn't all that hard. Turning up and down the volume on audio isn't all that hard. Yeah. And if you guys heard the intro, Jacob made my intro that I have on now. So I'm sure you know quite a bit about all like that technical stuff. When did you start doing that? Because that's really interesting. I, I, I had no idea that you did it. Did music? Like at all until recently. Really? I always had an interest in it and I was thinking about it actually for preparation of this podcast because I, I knew inevitably this question was going to pop right. up somehow. Yeah. Consi- and, I mean, especially considering you made the intro that is going to be on. Yeah. And it would, it would only be appropriate. Right. And um, my family used to go to symphonies. Mm. That sounds so dumb. No, that's that's actually pretty interesting. Yeah. We used to go to symphonies all the time at uh, Johnson County Community College. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of first where I got introduced to music that wasn't on the radio. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of let it sit, and I didn't really do anything with it. Then I got a little first act guitar that was um, this kind of a piece of crap, really, and it was it was just horrible. And it wasn't meant for anything actually important. It was just kind of to say, oh, a little 
little six-year-old has a guitar. Right. And I took it to one of my cousin's weddings when I was like seven, and I was just in the middle of the stage, just kind of strumming, strumming this thing. And I didn't know how to do anything. And I think that's kind of where it was born. I picked it up more, uh, let's say more astutely. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like more like involved yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. That was two years ago, three years ago. So in high school is when you really started. It, it was my seventh grade year. Oh my gosh. That's such a long time that's ago. Five years. I ago, feel like bro. I've been doing it for like a year. <laughs> um, I got, I got, I got this. Oh my gosh. I got a guitar for Christmas and I just learned everything. So do you, did you like record music on your guitar? Like, like right off the bat? Or did you like initially kind of like first like learn how to do I it? I figured out how to learn stuff. And this was the worst way to approach this. I watched music videos mm-hmm. and I would pause the frame and try to figure out where their hands were. <laughs> and That's awesome. That's what I used to do. And I'm like, this does not work at all. <laughs> and so I got to the point where I just listened to the song on the radio and then I could figure out what strings to press to make that sound. And oh, so you like, you're kind of an auditory learner? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And auditory and visual. I love yeah. movies. Right. I love movies. movies. We can get into that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a deep fascination of why I love movies. Right. And we can we can get into that in a, mm-hmm. a little bit. But I um I had this interest really, and it, it's kind of weird because you know me, I'm more of a logically driven person. Right. But logic can only take you so far mm-hmm. as opposed to emotion. Mm-hmm. We both are need to have the virtue of temperance, right. obviously, to a degree, because mm-hmm. all emotion is bad, and then all logic is not good. Right. So I was able to balance out my logical thinking of how to approach this situation of learning an instrument, and then my emotion just drove me, and I was playing three, four hours right. in my basement every day. Yeah. And I still do that right. to this day. I started the youth group, or didn't start, I started to play in the youth group band mm-hmm. my sophomore year of high school, because this guy, one wonderful guy, his name's uh, Andrew Cunningham. He's not, no doubt in my mind, he's not going to like, he's going to definitely not, never know about this. Right. <laughs> but he was a game changer for me. Um, he got me in and then just six or so months ago, I learned piano, mm-hmm. learned it in about two months. Just like, are you pretty inept or are you pretty apt when it comes to piano? Yeah. Like you can... Piano is significantly easier. Than guitar? Yes. I completely agree. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, going back to what you were talking about, about like, like, music is totally different from, like, anything else. And, I mean, I, I don't even really play that much. I just play sometimes. And, in all honesty, the main thing with music that I've noticed is that you can't really apply logic to the way that music makes you feel. No. Which I think is a lot to do with, like, what you're saying with, like, how, yes, obviously you can go into it thinking logically, like, this is how I'm going to learn it, this is the way I'm going to learn it, and this is what it's going to do for work. me. It doesn't. Because, like, there's, like, a... Like, people who play music, I don't think you understand how much they love it. Like, just because, yeah. like, there's such, like, an emotional attachment with it. Yeah, because it's so harmonious to the creative side of your brain. Mm-hmm. You, you can't separate the two. And, like, I feel like a lot of people get in touch with that in different ways. Like, like some people it's drawing. Some people it's this. Some people it's that. Like, it's, it's some different. Some people listening to music. Exactly. But music yeah. is, like, uh, at least personally, music is making and listening to music is... It's really like, awesome. Totally, it's totally different. And I think that has a lot to do with, like, my fascination for movies. Is, like, I always, like, I did, someone presented the question to me. It might have been our math teacher, actually. So? <laughs> yeah. But um, he said, man, 
I don't remember, but it was a checking question for one of my classes. And would you rather have uh, no music for the rest of your life or no movies? And I was like, movies are nothing without music. Like, if yeah. you think about it, like the, the movie score. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted that to be my career for so long. Really? The score movies. Yeah. That's an amazing, like, talent that people have yeah. to make you feel a certain way with music. And absolutely, like, acting and, and movies are driven by great performances and great actors and actresses. But music, I feel like, is very underrated. Because, like, if you listened to or if you watched a movie and there was no music to listen to throughout, like, it would be really hard to watch like people notice more than you'd think when there's no music in a movie yeah or like um like a good example would be like have you ever seen uh the new joker or newer joker movie yes. with joaquin phoenix the score in that movie is terrific yeah. it puts you on the edge of your seat the whole time and makes I, you feel, I feel like, like i'm gradually going as insane as he exactly is the whole movie. exactly so i feel like i the answer to that question at least for me is i would never i would rather not have movies because i just couldn't and we're very auditory people mm-hmm. you know um, and I think that's why also podcasts going back to the whole thing. If you're mm-hmm. starting this, we have the ability to listen because we've been listening as humans a lot longer than we've been reading. Right. Yes. And so our natural ability to listen is so much stronger mm-hmm. than to read or to visually understand stuff because written language hasn't been around that long, like in comparison to human history. Of yeah, obviously. And I mean, you can, you can date back communication and listening as far back as humans go but you're right when it comes to like reading and um like literature in general it really doesn't in the grand scheme of things it does not go back that far exactly but it's interesting though because archetypes of character development happen more through books and stories and movies i Mm -hmm. would say more than music yeah i completely agree it's more as stupid as it sounds i feel like music is a lot of time geared towards specific emotions that music covers really well like sadness music covers sadness amazing music covers happiness really well music can cover anger but i mean you could never visualize anger without seeing it in my opinion like it's really hard like picture anger without seeing it like there's just different it's better to portray different emotions different ways and i feel like music does a really good job of portraying certain emotions through music and movies do a really good job of portraying it like like confusion or like like sadness or not sadness but like depression in movies if you see a character that's like that it's unreal yeah versus in music it's like it's just it's two totally different worlds and i think it's also too i think music kind of singles out a single emotion Mm -hmm. narratives are an accumulation Mm -hmm. of emotion you can build it you can build a character exactly rather than like you said focusing on a specific emotion rather than like you can build a character or like a, and like a character can be based on an emotion, but they have more than just that emotion. Yeah. Like it's. There's more driving. Up. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I really don't get into literature all that much. If I'm being honest, I'm just not I'm a huge, I know. And I've yeah. like been in English class with you before and I know like, well, at least to an extent, I understand what your, um, where your interests lie in literature and, I'm fascinated by it because I just really? can't. Certain books are amazing. Like this book was pretty good. Um, a separate piece. Yeah, it's. I, right. I just reread that. It's it's a lot better the second time you read it because when I first read it, it was insanely boring to me when at least. Exactly. And I feel like people take the frustration of the work and the burden that's associated with the book, mm-hmm. associate it with the book itself. Mm-hmm. Or it's that book's really good. 
that book is really good too. I have oh, I have all my annotated books in there. But uh, lesson before dying, chapter twenty eight. That's the best chapter I've ever read in my entire life. Like it's really. I feel I feel. Is it, this sounds weird, but I feel like almost cheated by like the school system in that regard because I feel like a lot of times they're like the reason that they have me annotate it feels like is to show that I read the book. Well, yeah. More than it is to like make sure I understand it. And this is actually hilarious because this is going to be my topic for the conversation. <laughs> really? It was the idea of why we learn things in formal versus informal learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like when we teach ourselves things like guitar, for example, it's more based off of competency, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're learning something for yourself, but you're not competent in it and you can't apply it, if it's not applicable, then what value does it really hold? Mm-hmm where the school that like normal school structured school is kind of more of retention yeah it's it's not really, it's it's like don't get me wrong there's definitely some things that you can apply to regular life but it's more about retaining the information that you have and just kind of like shoving it away right and like, i also feel really like use it yeah i feel like the, the reason that people find good teachers to be good teachers is because they are able to take that information that you're just have been learning and then regurgitating your whole life and turn it into something meaningful because it's really hard to make i mean math feel like i'm gonna use it like when i'm learning college algebra like why do i need to find the perfect square of x like what i mean like really in in life when is that applicable versus when you learn something yourself like the example that you use was guitar or like when you learn piano it's because you it has intrinsic value to you exactly you have an emotional attachment exactly the logical side of learning something Exactly. It's, um, it's interesting because I also think it's partially in the discernment and displacement that you have for actually learning information. Cause I, I think I, I've been busy with football the last three years. This is the first year I'm not playing as you know, just right. catching up to the, the list. Right, 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 right. And I honestly think these first three weeks of school, the roller coaster of a ride that it's been emotionally and academically has done so much more for me this year than I think I have received right than my other three years right I think a lot of this year has been like realizing how like for lack of a better term fun high school can be like yes there's a lot on your plate especially as a senior you have to get ready for college you have to make sure your grades don't suck still even though you want to like not care you have to make sure your grades don't suck and if you do play sports then you have sports going on like there's all these different things but I think a lot of what this year has been at least for me is realizing that I get to do things like this whenever I want but I'm like I get to hang out with you guys whenever I want yeah. like like Which is always fun. We can exactly exactly it's like just such a big it's a big year for like learning about myself yeah, like on the on the topic of learning like yeah. learning about myself and I love to learn random stuff for betterment of myself. More yeah. Than a degree of actually amassing the knowledge. Or like for an academic purpose. Yeah. Like a lot of times, like I find, like, I mean, I'm, I, yes, of course, I'm Catholic and I'm a religious person, but I find that a lot of the reason that I enjoy my religion classes is because I feel like the conversation is good oh, for me. Exactly. Because it's more psychological exactly than really anything like i'm one of the more philosophical people that you'll oh, meet me too exactly As and it's so my books yeah and it's so so much it's it's so much fun yeah 
Yeah. How many, uh, you write poetry, right? I write poetry? You have written poetry. For class, yeah. Yeah. I mean... And, like, I'd, it's been praised by our English teachers. I, I don't think praise is the right word. I think it is. You think so? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm flattered. And then, did you mention a book that you've written, or wrote, or... God, not wrote. Started to write? Yeah. I have... I started to write a book last when, year. Last year? And... What's it called? Or I what? Never, it, I never gave it a title. That's kind of awesome. Like I'm like I don't I, know I why. I have like four chapters done. But that I mean. But I. My, I could never sit down and write a book like that. Goes back to like that. Like obviously, literature has some applicability to your life. Yes. And you enjoy it to an extent. I I personally I couldn't. Because I I can see the pitfalls in other people in mm-hmm. literature, and I can associate that to my own life, mm-hmm. and then see through either triumph, struggle, success, or right. Like damnation, almost to an extent mm-hmm. of how they're able to cope and go through it. Mm-hmm. How did? What was your favorite book that you've read? Or not the? Just not just. We can talk about it in general, but like at a, like in school for terms, school. yeah. And for what reason? I, I'm not. I, I enjoyed the Crucible. I love that was my favorite. It, it was a good book. However, I think the way that we were taught about it kind of did the book a little bit of injustice like they got they got the overarching idea of it right right but i would have enjoyed to go a lot deeper into each character and not understanding just what they do but why that's been a question that's been circling through my head these last few these last few months why they do what they do not just what but why do we do Mm -hmm. things that we do Mm -hmm. and i think if you can find the why it's the, the meaning of life isn't really this is so weird this is such an no you're thing. fine you're the, fine the, the meaning of life isn't what is it it's why do we have meaning in life right and there's so, a reason like i find when you're having a conversation like i've met people who are like i hate it when you just keep asking the question of why like because you could ask why to every statement forever just like every little kid ever yeah why? exactly why? why over and over again but you can't ask what like over and over it makes no sense after a certain point but why you could like i could say a sentence and you could be like why'd you say that and i'd explain that and you could say why and i just i mean i'd i'd be answering you forever yeah and i feel like the question of why is just like like in spanish class i had to they asked me what my favorite word was and i was like why like i said why was my favorite word and it was at a time it was this year so it was obviously at a time when i'm like really questioning a lot mm-hmm. about just life in general but it's a very like hard concept to grasp in general is the question of why and, and i feel like it's difficult because a lot of people don't have a suitable answer they never almost. do almost, almost never do yeah. in all honesty because we don't know the answer and going back to what you mentioned earlier is like a lot of times the answer is logical and that's not what i'm looking for i'm not looking for a logical answer of why i'm looking for like i i don't understand like i don't understand i, I don't you don't understand what you're like what? you why I'm asking why. It's just, I mean, like I said, it goes on forever. And it's kind of hard to explain, but I'm not really looking for, like, a logical reason. I'm just curious. Exactly. Like, really. Curiosity is a blessing. Right. Absolutely. I completely agree. And because curiosity breeds interest, and interest, to a degree, breeds longing to learn. Yeah. So... To an extent, curiosity is the reason we learn anything. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, it's definitely the root of the reason we learn anything. Exactly. The the basis of why we learned anything came from the question of, like, like 
curiosity, like yeah. people being like, I wonder, well, there you go. I wonder why this works the way it does. Or I wonder why one plus one equals two. And, and that's why we have all of our hard sciences and then our mm-hmm. soft sciences. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this book. I heard it's a doozy. <laughs> I, I need to buy it. And it's called The Unintended Reformation. And it was written. Wow. Even that title. Yeah. Is a little... <laughs> <laughs> it was written by this Notre Dame professor. And it talks about the unintended consequence that happened from separating hard sciences of physics and science and biology from like the so-called soft sciences right um and that they're supposed to be joined together mm-hmm. they really are everything points to a single truth mm-hmm. and regardless of if you're religious or not mm-hmm. you, you find truth in something right and, and when you fracture truth or try to misplace truth as truth then that's when you ultimately have issues right and i feel like oftentimes in today's society where a lot of the issues of everything stems from is people trying to find truth within themselves rather than somewhere else exactly and if i'm being like completely real no one's gonna find like the honest to god truth honest to god truth of like what it is it's impossible to find in yourself because truth is all relative exactly and it's subjective to the situation right it's the same thing as justice but I, i find that truth is not relative to you there's an overarching truth exactly that's truth to be found exactly but truth to be applied exactly exactly and yeah i completely agree justice is very similar and that has a lot to do with the book that we just read exactly i I just wrote a ridiculously long (laughs) sticky note kind of thing um about justice and Mm -hmm. after reading this book of understanding to my ability, my cognitive ability, which is probably not great because I'm probably just totally terrible at law, <laughs> um, of how true justice is supposed to be done and, and served. And, and I think, in all honesty, I don't think it's served correctly as of right now. And I, I mean, I, yeah, I, agree. I mean, you could, you could slice it any way you want, but like, I feel like not only is oftentimes justice not directly served, but it's served wrongly. Like, I feel like, like our institution are just like, or our institutions are really, personally, I believe that, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, and that's why we're here, but, um, like, personally, I believe that, like, the institution of these people should be more for rehabilitation and re- punishment. Yeah. Yes. And it feels like, I mean, imagine, like, obviously, I made a mistake, right? I- this is like the most extreme example ever, <laughs> but like I kill somebody, right? And okay. I don't get a life sentence. I get like, it's like manslaughter or something, right? I get 30 years. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, I it's like reckless endangerment, manslaughter. I kill someone. I'm in prison for 20 years. I mean, 20 years is a big, like someone who went into prison in 1980 and came out in 2000. Yeah. Different world. It's, it's totally different. And if they're not able to adapt to the changes that happen in the outside world then what justice are you doing to them to be able to put them might as well just keep them there forever right if they're not going to be functional parts of society and if if we're using the example of you just accidentally driving somebody (laughs) let's use the example that you're drunk right you you drunk drive you kill somebody accidentally in an accident Mm -hmm. the the from what i've noticed the two ways that that law or the idea of interpret interpreting and enacting swift justice kind of goes as follows. There, there's the idea of you can look compassionately toward the person. So you could be, oh, this person doesn't have a father. 
they didn't have a strong role model in their life to teach them how to be responsible. Mm-hmm. And through that, they turned to alcohol to cope with the pain from not having a good father figure. Right. And, and through that, they made the bad decision to drink and drive and unintentionally, but it still happened, killed right. the family. Right. And, and that's a good way to look at that situation very empathetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you feel for the person, right? And then, and then on the other turn, there's the idea of don't look at any part or fraction that contributed to the crime, except for the crime itself. Right, right. And so, that yeah, I mean, you have two totally opposite ends of the spectrum. Exactly. Both are applicable. But but the issue, like everything, is extremism is favored, but extremism isn't the solution, right? To any degree for anything in life. And like, I a, I I completely agree. And the the favoritism goes to the extreme side because it gets it grabs more attention exactly. regardless of like if you i mean if it's, it, it regardless of if it's media attention or as a lawyer you're trying to sell the more extreme side of the story in order to get the jury to vote in your favor exactly. right so i mean like a perfect example is in the book the lawyer is trying to sell to the side that like he's not even a man like he's a hog like he, you can't even consider him a man that's obviously not true and obviously insane but yeah. you're selling to the extreme side of people's conscience in order to get them to think one way or another exactly and in the idea of extremism sells exactly and that, that's why it's such a good market for business and political systems exactly i mean it, it just works in all honesty but and if you're looking at it philosophically extremism is horrible to I, any it's, degree. it's terrible i mean it's and it's terrible for uh, society in general i wrote my um, junior, research junior research paper on the two-party system. Yeah. I, I, while I do share a lot of views with one side or the other, like like I'm not going to specify which yeah, side, no, but, you're, you're fine. but um, I do share a lot of views with one of those sides. I think it's stupid that I have to pick between two rather than someone in the middle. But someone in the middle is never going to get any media attention ever because it's not like, like a lot of the times I think a good way of putting it is like if I think that. I think something extreme on this end. People who hate me are going to watch me because they hate me. People and people who, who love me are going to love me. And people in the middle are just going to get lost somewhere in the shuffle because both ends are more common. Yeah. So it's just so much easier to be an extremist on one end of the spectrum rather than somewhere in the middle. But you also marginalize the group that's against you. Right. So realistically, business-wise at least, I don't know why I keep going back to that example. I mean, it's a good... It's, it's a good Ideally, you'd want your business to be right in the middle, so, so you get the money from both sides. Mm-hmm. But no business really does that. No, and it's, I mean the the reason they do that, they don't do that, is because it's it's almost impossible. Because if you stand in the middle somewhere, then on the other end of the spectrum to what I just said, it's almost like both sides are arguing that you're wrong rather than you being in the middle. Like this side's like, why did you agree with the other side, and vice versa. Yeah. Like, it's very hard or to why just... Why really have a stance? Exactly. It's like you're punished regardless of what you do. Yeah. So why not take an extreme stance and gain all these people who are going to be on my side rather than be in the middle and both sides are coming yeah. at me? And it's just weird because people, I feel, try to fix the world by loving who they agree with mm-hmm. and almost having a hatred... For people who they disagree with mm-hmm. which i think is the just a horrible way to go about it because i think there's no way for that to go except eventually to civil conflict mm-hmm. and i think people need to look within themselves and understand who they are first mm-hmm. and if you have similar similar views to something 
of course you won't side with that because it's what you believe. Right. But you also have to think belief inevitably has truth. Mm-hmm. And truth can't be taken out of things that are so important, such as running a society. Mm-hmm. So then it's just the question, the matter of fact, of where do you find that truth? And is that truth reliable or not? Yeah. And it's it's impossible. I feel like it's impossible to know without looking beyond yourself, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, like there's no way for me to look at, like, is this truth a reliable truth without looking outside of myself? Exactly. And that's really hard for, I mean, even personally for me to do. Yeah. It's very hard to like, and a lot of times it's really hard to empathize. Like the example that you used was like a, a drunk driver kills a family in a crash, right? Like it's really hard to empathize with the drunk driver and his history. Like yes, obviously given, here's a, here's a good example, Ted Bundy, right? Yeah. Crazy dude, horrible guy. Yes. I hate him. But, like, you see all these movies and TV shows and things like that, and you sort of empathize with him. But I don't want to. Do you think empathy, to a degree, can be dangerous? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember we talked about the Joker movie earlier. Yeah. That's a perfect example. Like, why am I empathizing with this dude? Like, he's he's insane. He's killing people. It, But I'm, like, almost to a point where I'm, like, it's almost okay because of what happened to him. But it's not It's not, it's it's not okay. okay. So then that's finding that fine edge sword of in the middle right. of still having a punishment because th- there still needs to be punishment to a degree. I completely agree. Like but, you can't just like. Yeah, but I feel like it'd be unjust to just throw someone away to jail for the rest of their life without parole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really what just like what service is that to them? Mm-hmm. I completely know? agree. Um, and like another thing that recently came up was like. I had been reading, I think I was reading an article online about um, how they're thinking about, like, science, scientists, obviously, <laughs> so general. So <laughs> scientists were, like, uh, estimating that in 15 to 20 years, they'd be able to make someone serve a 1,000-year sentence in a matter of hours, like, by hooking them up to a bunch of machines. And, like, you go to prison for a 1,000 years, and you're alive for a 1,000 like mental mm-hmm. like it's all like mental stimulation and like like visual cue like it's like basically medicine that they would inject you with that would make you think that you've been serving for 20 years when you've been in there for an hour and like i feel like that's it's crazy no look it up do, i'm do, serious do you know what this reminds me of what this is so weird that i have this correlation <laughs> in my mind you ever watch rick and morty i have a rick and morty yes did you ever see the episode where rick and morty go to the arcade I don't know. I don't so, know which one you're talking about. There's this episode. They go to an arcade, and there's this game. Oh, I don't remember what it's called. It's we'll call it Todd. And so Morty hooks his body up to this machine, and he lives his entire life as this different person. And he ends up dying at the age of sixty something from falling off a little ladder trying to reach a carpet because you know there's a carpet supply store. Mm-hmm. And when he gets unhooked, he still retains all of the memories mm-hmm. from that game mm-hmm. as if it was his own life. Right. And that's devastating. Yeah. Re- regardless of your cognitive ability or your, or yourself, who you are as a person, I think that would just be totally, it would just tear you to pieces. Right. Because you almost lived a whole other life inside of the life that you have. Mm-hmm. And if you have them with that experience... How are you able to separate your reality from that simulation almost? Yeah. And I mean, differentiating between the two would be impossible. Like, 
especially if you actually lived through that, like you mentioned in that episode, like he lives through everything, feels everything he feels. I mean, I can imagine he has a family, you know, like yeah. all these different Gets things. Exactly. All the huge life things. Exactly. And, he and he's 16 again. Exactly. And I mean, having all, being able to retain all those memories, I feel like would be, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like that feels like in a way worse than anything, any other punishment that could be presented upon someone exactly. is going through the life experience. Like if you were living in a prison with 30 other people that are also serving a thousand year sentences and you live through all that and they're just like, okay, you're done. And they unplug you and try to throw you back in yeah. that, that, that would be impossible to recover from mentally. And I think that has a lot to do with why there's such a, like, this is, I mean, obviously this hasn't happened yet, but, like, I think, going back to what we were talking about earlier, that's a lot of the reason that um, people have such a hard time not turning back to crime, is because you get stuck into a society where this is completely different from, like, you might have made an initial mistake, but now that you're here, this is a completely different world, you have no money, you have no job, no one's going to give you a job unless you want to work at a fast food restaurant. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, like, it's almost impossible to reintegrate yourself. And, and there's biases there against convicted people. Right. And, I mean... With, it, but it's also... I, I look at... I always try to look at everything, like, two scope, right? Mm-hmm. That this, this felon comes out, and he's trying to get a job. He's trying to get a normal life going. But as a business, if, if I was a business owner, I would be a little weary, honestly, for hiring somebody who I know... Like, if they stole something, if they were, like, a theft. Or, like, fraud. Exactly. Like, if they had committed fraud. And it's it's not really because I dislike them, but it's because I have a security for my business. Because right. you have to think about the business owner of, like, oh, I got my family riding on this. Mm-hmm. And I got tuition to pay for whatever school. Mm-hmm. I got these car payments, this mm-hmm. mortgage. But it's also, it's, it's a lose-lose, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they don't prepare people in prison enough to be able to go back out in the world if they're granted that luxury to go out again Mm -hmm. you're doing them a disservice as well Mm -hmm. it's almost like a secondary punishment right and it's the the world our capitalist world is based off of capability Mm -hmm. if you're not capable and you're not swift and excellent in doing the job that you do what value do you hold? Right. Especially to companies. Mm-hmm. So if, if you come out of prison with no understanding of math or something, because it's been so long since you've had it integrated in your life, you're not going to be able to perform well. You're not going to be able to be an asset to a company. You're going to be more of a liability, of, right. if anything. And no company, in especially in today's world, is going to give a job to a liability because they feel bad. Exactly. It's just why would you ever go with the liability rather than somebody who's been just got out of college yeah. and has been studying that particular field for for four years? Yeah, four years straight and, now. And they're eager to get going and they want to start a career. Right, they're excited. They're they're looking forward to it. It's 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 crazy. But it's the detrimental part of it though is it it's almost as if the businesses are painted in a bad light though because they don't want to take that person in. Yeah, but I mean, and they a hundred percent are. Like I'm painting them in a bad light right now, but they shouldn't be. That's not something that you should be put down for because you're just protecting your own company and business. Even if you were to, even if you didn't care, like you're Amazon, right? And you have a like down in the dumps employee that's just like, well, not down in the dumps, but you know, like lowest of the low employee who delivers Mm -hmm. and he steals a package and a package is like, what, $30 to your multi-trillion dollar business like you just i mean it's it doesn't seem like that significant but then it gets out and there's media attention on it then 
you hire people, then you're a company who hires people who steal. Exactly. Like, and it's just, a, there's no winning situation for a company in that, yeah. in that instance. And it's also weird because it's, like, you used Amazon as an example, and you use something finite as, like, $30. Right. In the scope of Amazon as a business, that's nothing. Absolutely that's, nothing. That's that's a piece of bread on the floor. Right. It's that, yeah. not even worth picking up. Right. But it's, I almost think it speaks more volumes about who, like, excuse me, I, th- I think it, uh, it, it's more about will that person do it again into what right. scale. Right. And I mean, yes, obviously $30 is nothing. But, but $30 if I, a week over three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, now you're looking at maybe not necessarily a huge margin, but that's a, that's a, they took it out. Like yeah, exactly. you'll be able to see it. And if it's a reoccurring thing, it's hard to, it's hard to get by. And you're going to lose trust in your employee. Exactly. And, and then it, with that, right. Right. And it's, it's, yeah, going back to this, the grand scheme of capitalism, it's it's hard to it's really difficult to it's really difficult to not think of it as such like a business forward model because it, it is that's what it is yeah but it's like I mean if I like most like think of the most successful people you know oftentimes well i guess not everybody but oftentimes they're businessmen in one way or another like it's just the way that you make money in this world not even just in america but i mean one of my friends i know like owned a business like a small business um on the east coast and then moved here like i mean it's and now they have more money than they would have thought like it just doesn't really and, and that's what's cool about capitalism because your ability to be able to attain such wealth is mm-hmm. your incentive is your what incentivizes you to take risks right such as like I mean a, a prime, prime example of that would be like college yeah. like that sounds unreasonable but like I mean I as of this moment I'm planning on attending KU business of college and in total it's gonna cost me eighty eighty eight thousand dollars like room and board plus tuition plus it's about $88,000, which is a lot of money. But I'm willing to take that risk in order to hopefully make more money than I would have if I would have gone to trade school. And that's the whole whole idea of college. And college is a weird thing because you're, you're paying for something that really, at this point in time, you don't need to pay for. Right. You, you don't need to go to school. Like This is in the 1900s or 1870s. Mm-hmm. We have information around us containing everything you ever want to know. Right. Swirling around us all. This, this podcast is an example. Yeah. And you can get all that for free. Right. And I mean, I could look up, K, I'm not joking, I've done this before. You can look up KU business classes and watch the exact same lessons that you're going to learn at KU online or you can, I mean, you could pull them from, you could pull them from Harvard if you want. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just. And it's, all the studies are public and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's not really the fact that they're providing this medium in order to attain information. It's that there's no accreditation to not going to a university. Right. Which I was just, I just listened to this podcast, like literally this morning during work. It was Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Peterson had this idea in this revelation that, eventually sometime in the near not so far future that 
colleges are almost going to be nothing. Right. Because there's such a huge stream of media to mm-hmm. be able to inform yourself with, mm-hmm. which is a blessing and a curse. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. I feel like the college provides a lot more than just an education it to, to many people. And, and it also prepares you to be, like, it's not complete independence. independence, but it's enough to where you're like, I need to get my shit together. Yeah. Like, and that's the, that's the thing. It's like, there's this, there's this line where either you're pushing yourself too hard and you're going to inevitably fail, or you're not pushing yourself hard enough and you're just going to chill where you are. It's mm-hmm. like a weight room. Yeah. You know, but if you have your spotter there and you're about to push up 315 on back squat. Right, right. And you know you're in a safe environment to do that. Mm-hmm. Where's the harm in trying? Right, exactly. And I think a lot of times, like you, I mean, you mentioned the accreditation that comes with, like, not going to college. Yeah. The accreditation that, or the lack of accreditation, yeah, I should say, that is. comes with not going to college. And back to, like, the stereotype, like, you're just viewed as such a different person. Like, if I say I got a master's degree in business analytics at the university of kansas versus a guy who's like i've watched hundreds of videos on it i know what's going on i understand the material he might even be better than me but i can say that i got credit for doing it yeah and, and, and but it's also more of a sense that this institution can vouch right for my ability to perform right because when you graduate college you're also representing the school right yeah, I mean, they have alumni programs for that exact reason. Yeah. So they can be like, this person came here, and look what they did. Yeah. And so, and that's not an incentive to have people come in. Yeah. Because exactly. if you see all these super successful people leaving the school of business, because I know KU's business programs really good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, like local, more uh, popular local ones are like Arkansas, the University of Arkansas has a terrific business program that was run by the founder of Walmart. Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah, a perfect example of why a business program or any program is more credible than another one because the Walton family runs the school of business in Arkansas. So they're automatically more credible because Walmart's so huge. Yeah. And it's seeing the success that other people have that came from something mm-hmm. that adds so much more value. Cause if you, if you just have some crummy school to somewhere, yeah. no one super special who graduates, mm-hmm. What, what's really the incentive? Unless you have something totally spectacular right. there, like what value does that hold not just to your college and to your students, but to the people who are eventually going to hire right. your graduates? And I mean, I feel like that applies, this sounds like it's weirdly off topic, but I feel like that applies to all realms of like jobs. Like, and, and the thing that I'm thinking of in particular right now is like a, a professional athlete, right? Yeah. Like if... Like, there are great athletes who went to no-name schools that didn't get any credit when they were younger and not as well-known just because they didn't go to as good of a school or, like, as well-known of a school. And there are athletes who are not that good that came out of great schools. Yeah. But they're just more likely to be selected or to be paid more just because they went to that school. Yeah. Which is weird, but... It's like, I, I think of everything as a business, and it's like the college is a business, yeah, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I, I, can, I don't think it would be a bad idea to be a professor. Yeah. I, I think it would be pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. Being a professor would be a very difficult job, though, in, in the grand scheme of things, because a normal, a normal teacher, uh, a high school teacher, a grade school teacher, gets to know individual classes, individual kids, and can help them individually Yeah. versus as a professor, you're going to have to teach the material well enough to where everybody understands it and you can't necessarily help everyone. Yeah. It's just not possible. Yeah. 
I know it's just it's just a cool career path. Yeah. What would you want to teach? Hypothetically, of course. I think it would be really interesting to do psychology. I love psychology. Psychology is fascinating. The way that people's minds operate is very fascinating. Yeah, it's super cool. And no one else shares, like, you're one of the very few people who share that appreciation. Mm -hmm. Like, even not, like, a lot of people are like, like, I hear a lot that, like, oh, serial killers. Like, that's such a, like, like, um, popular way of thinking about it. Right. But I just, I mean, in general, the way people's mind, like, mine and your brains, the way we think about things, the way that you're thinking about talking to me versus the way that I'm thinking about talking to you right now, like, it's insane. And what kind of, what kind of personalities are there? And what Mm -hmm. ones work well together? Where does this stem from? Exactly. Why does this happen? Why can you point to a a guy not having a dad figure or a father figure in his life, then leading to him getting a drunk driving clash, crash? Why does that happen? Yeah. Like where psychologically does the switch go off? Yeah. And it's just a very fascinating and interesting. I would completely agree. Like yeah, that. but but it's weird because it's like for the, for the lack of a father example, it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I mean, I, you, yeah. Arguably, you can look at statistics and see, but yeah, isn't it weird how we know certain things? Like we're supposed to have them, and we're supposed like we need those to be able to be good people, right? And to be good functioning members of society. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like, and I mean, it's just like almost natural to know those things. Yeah. Like as a nine-year-old kid who doesn't have that knows that if he had that his life would be very different yeah. regardless of if that dad made any money if that dad was going to be a good dad regardless of anything it would be very different or even the mom for example like if you had no mom if you like just it's very different like atmosphere exactly because they're different you know like my dad's very different than my mom right in a, in a lot of ways like my dad loves Italian food my mom likes eggplant parm right you know right, still right. kind of italian but who likes eggplant but it's also the way that they teach me things my, my dad teaches me more of looking at the consequences of what you do right and he also taught me more hands-on work and mm-hmm. he taught me to fall in love with doing things that are hard because he knows that those will be the most beneficial right where, where my mom loves me in a different way where it's more like, what, what do you want for dinner? Right. And, and it seems so trivial, but it's out of care because she wants to know what I want so she can fulfill that. Right. And you know? she, and I find oftentimes like, like they're two very, I feel like they're both necessary, but they're two very different and um, distinct kinds of love. Yeah. Like at, in, in most, and not in all cases, but in most cases, your, your father figure is teaching you to do very stereotypically uh, manly, I guess would be the word. Masculine. Masculine. Um, your father stereotypically would teach you to do more masculine things while your mother would teach you to, like, you know, love and care and what yeah. do you want for dinner? Because cause women's and men's minds are different. Right, well, absolutely. Women naturally are more empathetic. And maternal. And maternal, as male minds are more, um, I don't want to say aggressive, because that's not really yeah. a suiting term, but you, you understand what I'm yeah. saying. They're, they're yeah. more kind of go out there. Uh, and get like, it. it's not, like, this sounds bad, but like primal. Like yeah, more almost, like, almost to a degree. That's why yeah. men have such a higher fascination with objects. Right, right. Like you look at, 
I was looking up this the other day, which is super weird. I don't even know how I got in this. <laughs> I was looking at what assets are acquired most commonly during divorces. That's actually, really, I mean, that is weird, yeah, but that's if, really if, interesting. If, if you just want something super weird to look up and just waste your life, actually, it's not really wasting because you're learning. I'm a huge fan of learning things. Right. Um, but the men had so much more materialist, material goods for, for an average family. So, so this took, it was like 55000 to about 85000 a year. Right. Income, either split or from an independent parent. And the men had so much more emphasis, obviously other than their kids, because they mm-hmm. care about that, but they had a lot more emphasis on being able to maintain like their cool car. Right. You know? Right. Or their, their tools or stuff right. like that. Or like for like personally I would like really want to make sure I kept like my basketball. Exactly. My volleyball. Where where women were football. so much more incentivized to only keep their children mm-hmm. that they would sell their own items in in hopefully effect to be able to show that care, right. right. And I and I think as I mentioned earlier, both both kinds of love and appreciation for things are very important for whether you're a man or a woman, a male or a female, like having and seeing both sides of the parental aspect of life is so important. Because I'm, I'm sure your dad taught you a little more discipline when right. you messed up. Right, exactly. Then my dad definitely did. Yeah, and I feel like... like Again, the, our conversation sounds pretty stereotypical, but most of the time it's true. Yeah. Like, I mean, my dad was the disciplinary figure in my life and also taught me how to be a disciplined person. Exactly. How to respect authority mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and my dad also taught me how to work hard. Right. And um, you, you need both. It's two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And you need both because they're both complimentary mm-hmm. and without one there's a fra- like there's a fracture within mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and your children aren't able to develop to the best person that they can be right and that, like statistically speaking if you look at rates of families that don't have father figures the incarceration rate for children in that situation is significantly higher right than right. families with both I, and i feel like another thing is like the the leaving or the absent father figure is oftentimes portrayed as like a a stereotype for a lower income family right yeah. is a father figure leaving but that's just i mean it covers all demographics exactly. if you really look into and, it and, and this thing too is when you start to scrutinize based off of marginalization mm-hmm. mar- marginalization can be infinitely like it can go on forever right so you can be oh this woman is an engineer, so is this guy, but they don't get paid the same. Mm-hmm. But, oh, you can look into it. The, the woman is also Asian. Right. Right? Oh, she's an Asian woman. Oh, double, right, against the mm-hmm. one. But mm-hmm. you can also just, like, strictly look at the fact she's not in the same role position as the right. as the male. Right. You know, or it could be woman to woman. Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be the same. Yeah. And so but when you start to, like, really base it off of demographics of people, mm-hmm. there's so many ways that that can go wrong mm-hmm. and i feel like often find the source but it's so tedious that no one wants to do it but it doesn't injustice to the people mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i agree and i think a lot of times it like searching for a demographic like to use as a prime example for like for example the the one that you used was like a man versus a woman which is like the most common one and i yeah it's very easy yeah. it's well known. Mm-hmm. and uh like there was a video i think i saw of like 
it was like you take the demographic of like the CEO of this company and the CEO of this company. And one's a man and one's a woman. And this woman gets played significantly less than this man. Both companies bring in the same amount of money, you know, whatever it may be. And like, yes, you can take that demographic and be like, this is how women are mistreated in society. But then you look into other things. It's like the incarceration rates are almost strictly male. Like you have way more incarceration rates. Yeah, violent crimes, male. The, The victim of poverty is more often male. The victim of lack of availability for jobs is often like it's just yeah. I'm not like picking at any male or female like stereotype. I'm just saying like the looking at demographics becomes very hard to prove a point in my opinion, and, regardless of what side you're on. That's the issue with demographics too. There was a there's a study right the seventy seven cents to a dollar for male to yes, yeah. female equity. Mm-hmm. The that demographic wasn't taken from the same company or the same jobs. Right. So so you're taking CEOs of companies and you're also taking your cashier. Right. You know, like right. regardless of sex in, in the situation. And you're painting all of it with this really broad brush, mm-hmm. but you're presenting it to a point where it seems that's the final. Right. And and it's, it's the issue that I have with a lot of stuff is if, if you're not showing me what you use to come to the conclusion... Mm-hmm. I'm going to automatically hold your conclusion as invalid until you can procure those right. those sources. Right. And I think I think that is a lot of the reason that like people would argue that that's a cause for controversy, right? Is like your your statement is invalid because you don't have intrinsic evidence to exactly. tell me that that's not true. But it, I think that's a really misused term in regards that like I know what I'm talking about but it doesn't matter if i don't have anything to back it up exactly and then that's when you get into the empathetical versus analytical thinkers mm-hmm. and because there, there are a lot of arguments that are emotion based mm-hmm. and i'd say majority I, i'd say yeah a, a vast majority yeah. of them indeed are yeah and that, that's the thing with emotion and you there's no level to emotion mm-hmm. it's it's all subjective to the person. Right. And, and I, that's, that's a really, like a really good point. I hate to interrupt, but like, uh, like a, people always say like, Oh, my life could be so much worse. I could be going through this. And I hate it when people say that because I, at least personally, like it's all relative. Like, like this person passing away in your life could be like, say it's your uncle and you're really sad about your uncle passing away, but my dad passed away. And you're like, oh, well, I, I can't be sad because your dad passed away. I mean, that's crazy. It's all you relative. You both have the right, rightful. Exactly. And dads. you both have a right to be very, very sad about yeah. that. Like, it's all it's all relative. And I, I don't like the argument that it's not. And, and when people try to take um, validity out of other people because they didn't experience the same victimization as they did, mm-hmm. that's when you're going to get into a down roll, downward spiral and trend just for everybody hating each other. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just horrible. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be cohesive. We're supposed to be working together to attain a common goal, which is society. Mm-hmm. And if your society is fracturing even at its lowest points, the lowest is eventually going to rise up to the top. Right. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Exactly. And... If, if you think about it in the sense of capitalism, your, your weakest link, we, we would probably just assume, I mean, if we'll think of contributing members of society. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to count like homeless people right, who right. live off stimulus, which I hope their life gets better. I hope they're right. able to turn it around regardless of their situation. Mm-hmm. The, we'll take minimum wage employees mm-hmm. as an example. Yeah. 
if you have all these minimum wage employees that are so against the system mm-hmm. because they, re- regardless of intention or circumstance, are in the position that they are, mm-hmm. then eventually, when all those higher up people leave mm-hmm. or go away or retire or whatever, they're, they're going to gradually work up the chain. Right. And if, if that gets seeped into the idea, then when it gets up to the top, then that's the, that's the main idea of Marxism and socialism. Right. Is yeah. that everyone deserves their equal share, but the thing I, I've read a lot about actual implementation of these, and no matter what system you have in place, there's always going to be a major not a majority, but there's always going to be a member or section within that structure that's going to have more wealth than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, regardless, yeah, yeah, regardless. Yeah. And if you have no incentive to working, my dad and I talked about this. It's like if you're going to go to law school and be a lawyer, but every single person is getting paid the same, mm-hmm. why do you have any reason right. to go to law school, go through rigorous? training and education and then have to pass your bar and right. go through to become a lawyer if you can get paid the same exact amount to be a trash to man. be a trash man yeah because the incentive's gone i mean yeah and you could use the exact same example as like a doc like a doctor why would yeah. i ever ever go to med school for eight years if i'm gonna make significantly less money than you and if you're mad about or, or it or even the same right yeah and if and if you're mad about that like if you're upset because you're a trash student you're not making as much money as a doctor um like I'm kind of again relating back to what we were saying earlier. Like I might, my dad taught me like, like you do not need to feel bad for people who don't work hard. Yeah. You don't need to, because he was like, I mean, the the prime example is like, like I remember specifically, I was in uh, Chicago with my dad for a basketball tournament, and I was watching him play like all the time. But the basketball tournament was under railroad tracks in a super impoverished area and he was like i was like dad there's so many homeless people here like how are you not like upset like i was sad like i was like what is it like exactly and he was like i've been in a similar situation and they can get out of there if they want like it sounds stupid but like they, they if they want to they could not be here and it's really hard to see that side of things but that's exactly why like you can't you, you couldn't have a system where a doctor gets paid the same as a trash man because that trash man, if you wanted to, could find a way. Like, it sounds stupid, but, like, no matter what your situation is, you could find a way to make more money than that. Yeah. You could find a way to go and I mean, trade school, for example, those people make awesome amounts of money, especially now because of how high in demand they demand. are. And, and, and there's no one to fill. Exactly. Money. So just step into trade school and yes i realize you might not have enough money to do that at the moment but like there's always a way there's always a return from that. exactly and anything that's hard is worth doing exactly and i don't know if you know this i hiked 150 miles through new mexico with my dad i did not know that's freaking awesome um, carrying like 60 70 pound packs mm-hmm. uh, for boy scouts it was 14 days and you had to be 15 to do it i turned 15 like during the trek so they let me go so really i was 14 right Freshly 15, I probably thought I was the, I thought, thought I was the man. You know? <laughs> I thought I was hype. And the there was this time, I'm going to go on a little story here, and I'll let, let you dissect it. And we were finishing up this hike. It was probably a 17, 18-mile day. Yeah. And there were two miles left of until we got to our campsite to put everything down, set up our tents, and we just passed out every day. Right? Yeah, we, we right. I mean, you got to be exhausted. Dinner. Yeah, and then we went to bed and we just was ready for the next day. And this kid who was older than me 
couldn't do it anymore. His feet were totally covered in blisters and due to lack of preparation mm-hmm. and to a sense, lack of willingness to excel in what he was going to be doing. Right, right. He found himself in this position that he was unable to complete this, mm-hmm. which me personally, that would tear me apart. Right. If, if I saw that I was the weak link, because yeah. I am a very self-sacrificial person. Right. If, if I see someone hurting, like when Trey, Trey Clark got hurt. Yeah. Like I, when I wrote that song for Trey, mm-hmm. I wanted nothing more than for him to have the regular, just him to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish so hard I could have taken all of that injury and pain upon myself for him to be able to have what I had at the moment. Right. You know? And so I, I never want to be the weakest person and and out of preparation, my dad and I hiked for months carrying these 60, 70 pound packs, you know, in preparation for this. Yeah. Just, I mean, as you should. Yeah. Because preparation is huge. That's what college is. It's really preparation for real life. Yeah. But this kid couldn't do it. And the older, oldest kid, he was 17 at the time, he couldn't do it either because he didn't prepare as adequately as he should have, although he did do more than the kid who couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So really, I was the only, per- me and my dad were the only person of the six-man cr- six crew who were able, not just to carry their weight, to be, but to be able to excel in the mm-hmm. task that was there. Yeah. And I ended up double-packing the last two, three miles to camp as this kid walked, um walked to camp with his blistered feet, just totally engulfed. And I, here I am, this like little 15-year-old kid right. carrying both of these packs, mm-hmm. walking all the way to this camp. And I, it was it's so ingrained in me because there, there were a few huge things that came. I learned I can do significantly more than I think I can. Right. I, I have the physical ability. And your mind is really your limitation to your body. Right, absolutely. And that, that's kind of known. Um, also... I never want to be that person. I never want to be the person who other people have to take up my load mm-hmm. to be able to complete this right. or to be able to do something. And I think that is a tear. I completely agree with you. And I think that is a terrible feeling in general. Oh yeah. I don't. Terrible. I don't really under. It's because it's happened to me before. It happens to everyone. In all honesty, yeah. and, and you can and you can avoid it. And you can avoid it as much as you want. And you can be someone who is very strong-willed but it, i mean it just kind of it's the way life works it just happens to you eventually and it's the word per, like personally i don't understand how people can just kind of let that happen constantly right because that is the worst feeling yeah. ever is it, having it other people yeah having other people have to take up my responsibility and my like you said my the way you put it my lo- mm-hmm. my load in order to make me feel better or even just to, not even to make me feel better, but for me to be able just to even get succeed. To where I yeah, yeah, because e- expectations aren't the goal, right? And this was this was work, and I showed up one day, and we have, we have to be start at five thirty a.m. So it's it's early morning. I, I try to be at the gate by like five fifteen, just so they know I'm I'm ready. It kind of gives me some time to wake up. Right. I, I got there one day, and it was like five forty five. Usually we have our meeting strictly at five thirty. No one else was there. And my boss was like, hey, th-, like at the end of the day when I was leaving, he was like, hey, thank you for being on time. Right. And so I was just walking out. Excuse me. And I turned around because he was in his office. And I'm like, Tom, that's, that's his name. I don't know if I should say that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to hear this. But um, I was like, Tom, that's expectation. If, if you don't meet expectation in your life, and if you have no desire 
to even meet the minimal expectations that someone has for you, you're a failure. Right. And, and it sounds harsh and it sounds mean and it sounds super accusative. Yeah. But it's true. If, if you can't meet the expectations, little as they are, to someone who you are providing something for, that's nothing. So I, I told him, I'm like, that's, that's just expectation. Mm-hmm. Like expectation is the bare minimum. Right. If, if people don't ex- exceed expectation or they only sit at the cusp of expectation, what value do they hold right. both to you working at the golf course and to anybody else? And, and you're supposed to exceed this. And, and that, that's what I noticed. It was like, I had the expectation at camp that I wasn't going to have to be able to carry two right. bags right. For, for this distance. And I'm, and I'm telling you, two miles doesn't seem that long. If you got all that weight on, you're 15. And I was like maybe 100 pounds right. at the time. Like I was tiny. And you're, you're like cussing under your breath like every right. step. Right. But when he got there and I, I saw that, hey, he really couldn't do it, I had a sense of compassion like, hey, I'm glad I could take that suffering for you. Right. But it was also like you don't deserve what I did for you. Right. Which is also bad because that's like narcissistic and narcissism is, no, but the, is horrible. It is, but that's completely, what you're saying is completely correct. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, like he, his expectation, as you mentioned, was that he should have been able to carry that pack yeah. for two more miles. And, and he didn't even meet the expectation. Right. But because of my preparation, I was able to exceed expectation mm-hmm. and therefore carry my crew right. to, to where we needed to be. And, and that was such a foundational lesson in my life of we're meant to do hard things. And if you push yourself too hard, you're going to get hurt. Right. Either that's emotionally, physically, spiritually. I, I don't care what it is. Yeah. But if you don't push yourself enough, you're going to sit there and you're just going to eat your box of Chips Ahoy cookies <laughs> on your couch that's on the left of the TV. This is very realistic because I, I did this and, and I finally got out of this slump. And like I would just sit there and watch TV. Right. You know? And I didn't feel bad for myself because right. I was comfortable. Right. We're meant to push past our capabilities right. and our capacities, not to an extent where it's damaging, but to become a better person of yourself. Right. And only through sacrificing to yourself and sacrificing for other people are you truly able to become better and hopefully become the best person that you can be. Like, I want you, it sounds terrible, I want you to suffer a little bit. Right. So when you become a father and a husband, mm-hmm. if you do, like, hopefully, Lord will bless you. Yeah, God willing. Yeah, that you can then know that you can push past anything that's thrown your way for the betterment of your children, for right. that self-sacrificial right. attitude. Right. And that was such a foundational thing. That's why I started to do, to do like work at the ranch. Right. And doing these intentionally hard jobs, I don't have to be doing that. Mm-hmm. But I, I know the struggle, and I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. And it's also a good reminder of, hey, if I fall short, this is going to be my life. Right. If I don't pay attention in school, if I don't have the desire to learn, I'm going to be digging holes and fixing quick couplers Right. And compression fittings on pipes for the rest of my life. Right. And no one wants that. Mm-hmm. Like everyone wants to be the best person and best version of themselves for the people that they love. Right. And I don't tell my family and my friends I love them enough. I really don't. Yeah. But I hope that they can see through my actions and the way that I represent myself and my family and all you guys and my friends and my mm-hmm. school and my faith that I have a burning love and passion for them to be able right. to succeed. Right. And I would do anything I can right to make that and i feel like more than most people you have uh, unintentionally in all honesty like you me and you haven't had many direct conversations where you want to put you're telling me you want to push me to do something but i mean even just like seeing you i can tell how much you do care about me because you push me to do things that i would have never done before i mean for example this podcast like a, like I probably this is like a stupid example this is not that hard <laughs> to do it i press record and then sit here but like 
I probably wouldn't have done it if it wouldn't have been like for the how I felt the conversations went between me and you in math class, yeah. right? Like I I feel like you do do a very good job of like representing how doing a good job of visualizing how much you do care for your friends and family. And, and that's the beauty of it too, because I didn't know that. I, I didn't know our conversations in math mm-hmm. class, however, how it's stupid, right? Just right. Totally, just a pain <laughs> in Snell's back that <laughs> our class was that I had that impact on you. And that's the beauty of it. Right. You don't know who we impact. Like Andrew Cunningham, mm-hmm. he knows he means a lot to me, mm-hmm. but he'll never understand the full beauty and blessing that he's instilled in my life. My dad will never know. Right. You know, I'll never know who's impacted you to become the person who you are. Right. But it's those people and that accumulation of what we learn. Right. And that's all we are. We're, we're, we're sacks of skin and flesh, mm-hmm. which I'm in anatomy, so I'm like, I'm with anatomy right now, <laughs> which is weird because I don't even like that very much. Right. But we're, we're just, we just regurgitate what we know. Right. We, we learn new stuff and we take our experiences and we discern through them all in milliseconds mm-hmm. to try to figure out what the best solution to the problem is. Regardless of what subject or whatever you're doing is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's that's why I'm fascinated with learning is because, like you were saying very much earlier in this, like in math class, you don't know when you're going to use this. Yeah. But your ability to be able to go out of the way and solve problems in the way that al- college algebra would mm-hmm. be, you can take that understanding and the approach not strictly to math, but now you understand how to circumnavigate different situations. Right. And so every learning holds value. Mm-hmm. There, there's no knowledge that holds inadequate or lacks value. Right. Because that would be unjust for the idea of what knowledge is. Regardless of the knowledge. Exactly. And it's taking everything that you can learn and taking all of your experiences, shoving them all together, shoving in with your personality, your sense of humor, and your guitar that's sitting in the corner. Yeah. And that's who you are. Right. Right. And, and that's also why it's so found. I'm just going on a tangent here. That's, no. That's why no. it's so foundational it. for having a good family life. Right. Like I, I was adopted, mm-hmm. as you know. I have no clue what my life would have been. Yeah. If I stayed there. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't blessed to have these people come in and adopt me from Ukraine mm-hmm. in the city that's now almost completely rubble from the war. Right. I have no clue what my life would have been. Mm-hmm. Right. But I was... Bless, like I can It's it's hard for me to like even talk about it. Yeah. Like without like getting sad or not sad, but like emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's something that it's so like I didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. Like who who does? Well, I mean, you could always make that argument for like you didn't deserve to be taken out of that situation by the people that did take you out because i'm sure you're like i like you're talking about right now you're eternally grateful and so happy that you were taken out of that situation yeah but i really like no person might deserve that no but you in particular and most people take that opportunity and you've done something amazing with it and i mean i realize you are grateful but i that's really amazing like and i i will never be able to understand It sounds weird, but, like, if I was in your situation, I feel like oftentimes I'd find myself being, like, like, almost, like, ungrateful. Like, like I just, like, sit in my bed and no I'm, like, I... anger and resentment right, to right. what happened. Rather before. than be thankful than what's happening now. And I can place a lot of that on my parents. Right. Like my parents were open about me being adopted, like, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And instead of having it be something in my mind that was, like, oh, I never... You're not my real parents. Right. You know, or, like... 
you don't really care. You just got me. You just bought me. Right. You know, <laughs> which is not how adoption works. <laughs> but I've never had that. And, and I've been, th- I've, I've been thinking why, mm-hmm. because as you know, I love why, mm-hmm. and I can't come to a conclusion. I, I don't know if it's due to the fact of the love and amazing support that they've given me for all the opportunities that they've afforded to me. Right. Or just because I'm happy here. Maybe, maybe if my home life sucked here in America, then I would be longing for a reconnection. Right. So I would almost have a new start. Right. But it's not It's not like that. I, I don't know um, how to describe it. It's, yeah. It's so ingrained in who I am. Mm-hmm. But I don't let that be a limitation or a sense of victimization. I let it be something of like, look who I am. Like it's... Mm-hmm. it's and this is where I came from. Exactly. It's, and it's not... It's proud. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I see Russia coming in and taking over Ukraine. It makes me sad for those people of, of Ukraine, not not just because they're getting taken over from war, because war is a terrible thing. Right. Um, and sometimes wars need to be fought, and it's, and it's horrible that we ever get to that situation. And I would be the one to fight for a just cause. I'd be on the front lines. Right. But... I, I see all these people who didn't have that chance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how many kids do you think were right. left there? Right. Exactly. And like, I've, I've, I've always kind of wanted to adopt a kid. Right. You know, um, and I, th- I think more people should. And that's why personally I have such a huge drive for the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause it's more, not just more personal. I think anyone with a good common sense would be right. pro-life. You know? Right. I mean, just from, a, there, there's, a lot of other options from just like a general standpoint. Yeah. I completely, I agree. And there, there's a lot of emotion in people trying to take abortion as an empathetic approach for probably a wrong done to the woman. Right. But like give the kid a chance, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I mean, you could always like, like this sounds weird. And I don't want to like push anything oh, onto yeah. you, but like, I mean like you, that could, that could have been me or you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And like you were given a chance, yeah. and I mean, my <laughs> it's kind of weird to bring up, but my parents had me when they were a year into their marriage, yeah. and I don't know if they necessarily wanted that, but I'm here, and they yeah. gave me a chance, and I have. I like, lo- look, you got a podcast. Exactly, a dude. I love, I love where I'm at in life, and I was given a chance, and you were given a chance, and yeah. I think that's a, like I. I, I, I hate covering controversial topics because I'm always afraid of what I'm going to say, but, like, I'm, I just, I just I feel... I'm always worried, too. <laughs> but I just feel like if there's an opportunity for a life to occur, yeah. why take it away? Exactly. And that, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, like, uh, the prison system and, like, uh, the death penalty. Yeah. Like, I'm personally... I, I 100% agree some people are very, very, very dangerous and are borderline shouldn't be kept alive but it's an opportunity for life like people there are, there have been many many instances where people have sat on death row and like just read books for like like ever until they finally it's their day and then it gets repealed and they even though they're in prison going back to your knowledge like they gained so much knowledge they sat there they learned and even if they're going to be stuck in a prison cell for the rest of their life they have a life to live yeah and I think that's vital. I think that is, is vitally important. Because there's intrinsic value in life. That's, it just because we're not meant to die. No, we're know? not. And that that's why it's like so. It, you can be numbed to it to a degree, but 
I think that's why a lot of people who are very empathetic and emotionally driven for kindness have issues watching war movies. Right. Like, my sister's one of the best people I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, she gets on my nerves sometimes. My right. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Assembly. That's, it's inevitable. Yeah. But she wants to do all this really good in her life to be able to help these kids. She's going to be an occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be helping out these kids who wouldn't have had a shot if they didn't have, like, of course, like, where they were and the availability and ability to be able to get such help. But she wants to help these people, but she's definitely afraid of anything medical. Really? Yeah. Like, she can't do blood to save her. <laughs> she, she freaks out on, like, it's weird. We sit at dinner, and she's like, there's a moth outside. Like, <laughs> I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm just here trying to eat my, my lasagna or something. And she's like, there's a moth outside. I'm like, who? Who asked? <laughs> and, and, but... But then there's a spider inside. She's like, I want you to kill it because she can't kill a spider. I don't know if it's just out of like arachnophobia or something. Right, just, right. But she wants to do so much good, but she knows that she can't do it to a certain degree. But she can't watch war movies for anything. Right. But like I love war movies because I love the self-sacrificial nature of them mm-hmm. because I see a lot of myself in it. Right. And I wish I could be in that same situation. Mm-hmm. But she, she wants to do the best she can. I don't even remember what we were talking about. I just got, I got caught up on the moth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I completely, like, some people just, like, have... Oh, yeah, knowledge of death row. I'll, yeah. I don't even know. About, oh, yeah. It's just, like, more, like, innate ability to... Like, some people are just so ingrained in, like, this aspect of, like, you can't see other people suffering. And I think that's very important when it comes to, like... Again, the intrinsic value of life. Yeah. Like, seeing people suffering is part of life. You suffering is part of life. And it's not supposed to be there, but if you can flip it on its head. And St. Augustine, cool dude, never met him. (laughs) Very very long dead. But I did, I, good friends with the Father Augustine, so I think it rounds up. Yeah, yeah. Um, But St. Augustine, like, the common thing, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh Because the suffering that occurs within someone's life when they're suffering regardless of either if it's them or if it indirectly affects someone who they love has potential to be something greater than if the suffering never occurred. Wow. Right. I've never really thought about it like that before. And that took me a long time and a lot of book (laughs) digging to figure out and a lot of guys group conversations in the Prince of Peace parking lot. Yeah. But there's suffering, suffering, to some degree, to some extent, maybe if it's minuscule, brings good. Right. Because, and I think yeah. you can see that. Like, and, it, like, and obviously, like, as the suffering is occurring, oftentimes you can't see it. But even if it's just individual suffering, yeah. like depression, anxiety, things such as that, like, you would eventually, you're going to be able to look back on it or look at it and realize how much has built you up as a person, builds your character. And, and, and there's this really cheesy christian song i have an issue with christian music like i play christian music every sunday but like the radio christian music is just like so horrible and they they use like the same four verses four same lines in the bible and they just pop it to a different tune and really all of them have like g e and c in it and it bothers me so much but there's this one terribly crummy song and it goes like what would i know what it feels like to be found if i was never lost yeah and it goes through all these things like if what would I feel like to be whole if I wasn't broken? And, and that's the perfect identity of what suffering is. 
and that's the same thing with my film on experience is the same thing with seeing Trey go through what he did mm-hmm. in all of our school community, especially these last two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't really want to dwell on it because I know it's, it's so hard mm-hmm. and it's such a terrible thing that happened, mm-hmm. but inevitably, and I know it with all my soul and all my heart that there's going to be strength that comes out of it. Right. And I completely agree. Like when I just had uh, Sophia and Sammy on the podcast, like I just recorded that episode and I think it's going to come out after yours, but Oh, um, mine's better, huh? No. <laughs> it means I told them this was coming out on Thursday. <laughs> anyways, anyways, anyways. Um, we were talking about how, like, people, like, even, like, right away after these two weeks, like, people realized, like, Izzy never got an opportunity to do the things that we're going to do. Exactly. And if we take these, this time that we have to do these things, it's going to be a lot more, A, enjoyable, but B, like, you're gonna value it so much more yeah. like like you remember when like covid first hit and there was a bunch of shit going on and you were locked in your house forever it yeah. felt really really good to go see your friends oh it was even just sitting in the parking lot like, right like when totally you were like from each other. far apart it, yeah. it felt no one knew what it was you're like 30 feet you're like <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was nice to like see them just because you appreciated it and i think that's all something that's come out of this which is like again pointing back to like how suffering is so valuable is that everybody and not everybody i can't speak for everybody but at least personally i value my life and the things that i have the ability to do so much more than i did two weeks ago exactly and it's almost an injustice to not do so right and it would not be what it sounds bad but it would not be what she wanted no at all and um yeah if, if you grieving is a part of loss regardless like i lost a goldfish one time didn't even right. last a day from the store i was little <laughs> and of course you're gonna be sad right and a fish is if you're if you're saddened but like you're like okay like look he's gone but like it was cool while we had him and then now it's like oh, i'm gonna go do whatever i'm gonna go play outside like i was, right. I was an idiot right. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you don't take the opportunity that you're afforded to step back and almost look at it through a different lens um you're, you're not growing from anything. Right. And it sounds horrible and it'll suck, but sometimes you need to sit in suffering mm-hmm. for a while yeah. to be able to understand the reason for the suffering itself. Right. And I, I completely agree. Like there's a lot of times when like I, there's been, I mean, I don't want to like, like act like I've had so much suffering, but there's definitely been points in my life when there was suffering and I, you just go and sit outside and stare into nothing. And you just yeah. think about, like, like that, again, it goes back to that question of, like, why? Like, what is going on? What is, how is this going to build me? What, this stuff, like, it hurts. Yeah. So how can this be beneficial? And then you just ask all these questions that you probably wouldn't have asked before. Yeah. And Basic now, question. exactly. Apart from a different perspective. And, and what's weird about St. James, like, I like the school. I like the community. I like what they preach. Mm-hmm. But we live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry to say, anyone who thinks they're having like a normal high school experience, this is not normal high school. No, not like, at all. We, we have a blessing. We've been afforded this amazing opportunity to be able to be a part of this community. But we, we like legit live in our own bubble. Like, even from the schools that are here, right? Like, in, in the area, we are like our own thing. Mm-hmm. And people naturally gravitate toward it. Like, Coach Racky always says, like, there's people who come over to the school and like ask about what it is and what's so special about it. But in in sense, we don't really realize what we have until it's gone. That's with everything. Right. 
and while you're in it, because you don't understand how special and unique that it is, you see everything through that like rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. of when you're there. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I would much rather take this high school experience that we have in knowing all of you guys than go to some school and be bullied. Right. You know, and like just have some terrible high school experience, mm-hmm. and that that's totally justified. And anyone with a right mind would think so. Right. Right. But we still find the littlest things to complain about. Right. You know? Like, and, I'm, I have to do a project after this, and I hate it. Yeah, or like, hey, the Wi-Fi doesn't work. Right. Get the Wi-Fi figured out. This is my message to administration. Right, right. Nothing aggressive. I'm just like, I'm just trying to do my classwork. Right. But you, you don't see how much is going for you till it's gone. It's like every song ever. Right, right. You know? Oh, the girl was so nice, and you let mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and there's truth in that because everyone's experienced suffering to a point where it's loss. Right. Right. And like, as soon as you get to that point, it's, and regardless of like what, what aspect of the word you're looking at, like loss and like, like, I don't, I didn't know how much I loved this person until I couldn't talk to them anymore. Couldn't see them anymore. Yeah. Or if it's like, I didn't realize, like I talked about in my, uh, <laughs> address to the class, uh, last year at retreat, like <laughs> you don't know how much you're going to look back and be like, this is great. That was so much fun. And you're not going to know until you are, it's not there anymore. Because when I, like two summers from now, when I'm like, I see you guys and I'm like, oh my God, we haven't seen each other in so long. We got to catch up. And then that's like one of maybe a number of times that I could count on my fingers for the next 10 years that I'm going to see you guys. I'm going to value that time that I did have with you so much more. And it's just really hard to see that when you're there. Yeah, because you're in a spot of comfort and familiarity. Right. And I know it's kind of weird. I'm like, I'm so ready to be gone. Right. Um, and I'm so ready to be in college and learn what I want to learn to a degree. Not not like a physical degree, but like to, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Sort of Let's see what you Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> And, like, I'm, I'm just ready to do that. I'm ready to be independent. I've been independent, or I've tried to be independent for so long. You know, I hate it when my parents buy stuff for me, you know? And it's like, I'm, I'm so ready and eager to leave. But I know the second that that graduation cap flips off my head, I'm going to be on the turf field just right. bawling my eyes out. Right. And, I, and I'm not a super emotional person, as you right. know. But it's because it's gone. Right. And you can't get it back. And it's terrifying because I almost put myself into this idea of why do I even develop friendships friendships at this point? Mm-hmm. If, if I'm only going to have them for a year and then all of a sudden they're just going to be cut off, they're going to be, everyone's going to be going to different schools right. and we're all going to be doing our own thing. What value does friendship uphold in my life now that will be beneficial or foreseeable or long future? Right. I agree. But to an extent, so I feel like this year more than most, maybe not like my freshman year, but like outside of that. I'm trying to develop as many friendships as possible. No, I am too, which is weird because it's like logically, as I would totally think about it, these friendships aren't going to hold. Right. Most likely they're not going to hold. So why do I invest time? Right, right. And, but that's where your emotion comes in. Like you Mm -hmm. you need friendship. We need people. And if you can have as many people as you want to be around, like available to you, like if I, some really good friends, like, you and Tiave and Charlie and Hudson and Co. Like, obviously, like, yeah. all our closest friends, Trey, all of those guys. But it's, like, if I could develop friendships with my entire grade, even. Not my whole school, but, like, like 
if everybody in my grade can like know who I am and be like, oh, I like that kid. That's, I can look back on that and I can value that time. Well, it's sad. I think valuing that time when you were sitting there like thinking about how you would run into people in the hallways and they would smile when they saw you, right? Like that's an awesome time to think about. That's really interesting that you brought up the idea that you just want to be known. Right. And I also think about that quite a bit. Um, And whenever you ask this question at school, you're going to get the philosophical thing because like, or the religious thing, you know, like whatever that answer is, because Jesus loves you and he wants you to bring Jesus to other people. And that's why we're built for community. Um, But we, we have a deep core. I just read about this, dude. I read so much. This is like weird. I just read about this and it was talking about what, in order to be functioning members of society, we have to change ourselves to a moderate degree to be able to um, to be able to adapt, to be able to be in social situations. Mm-hmm. So when you're a little kid and you're just bouncing off the walls, you go to first kindergarten. Oh my gosh, first grade. You know, please don't go to first grade as you're, as you're three. If, if you're just totally just off the walls, like you have to let go some of yourself to be able to be a functioning member of that society, which is kindergarten. Wish I could go back. Probably mm-hmm. would be hype. <laughs> but... You have to let a little piece of yourself go. And we're not supposed to really let ourselves go because ideally in a perfect world, everyone can be exactly who they are and there's nothing against any degree of who anybody is. Right. But it's not a perfect world, evidently. Yeah, it's not. As everyone knows. And although we wish we could, we will never be able to find the full, the fullness of knowing our true self and being able to explore that, explain that to people because no one will ever know exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be an emptiness. So now it's the question of what do you fill this emptiness with, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And that's that's where it's really easy to turn to vices. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why most people have like a drinking addiction or drug addictions or, or whatever whatever it is, insert X, Y, or Z, because there, there's this little piece of them that they know will never be fulfilled, mm-hmm. even if they're married. Mm-hmm. And that's why married people cheat. It's the same psychology behind it. Right. It's because there's a hole or a issue, a riff in their marriage, and they think that, oh, hey, if I just go sleep with somebody for one night, my wife's never going to know or my husband's never going to know, and maybe I'll be able to find that. Right. But that will never be found. Right. And the more you try to go around and find what that tiny little thing is in your life that's missing, the more you're going to dig yourself into your own grave. Right. And I think recognizing that that little thing is there is important, but chasing after it your whole life is never going to lead to anything. Exactly. Nothing beneficial. Exactly. And so then it's, well, I'm empty. Alex, I'm empty. Right. What, what do I do? And it's then not what is the issue. It's how you approach the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's that good old thing. It's not how you fall. It's how you get back up. Right. And am I going to search for this, longingness in something that I know is not going to fulfill me long-term or something that I know is going to be damaging to myself and to my family. I'm going to let them down. I'm going to be that weak link of the chain. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be able to carry my pack and they're going to have to sacrifice in order to keep me up with them. Mm-hmm. Or am I going to try to find something that I can strengthen myself for? Mm-hmm. And that's what I always try to do. I don't do a good job. I, I don't. I, I try to be a good person. I try to do everything right. Everyone falls short. We all will. Yeah. But it's, it's how you get back up and keep going. And sometimes you fall on the same thing multiple times, you know? And as my parents can attest, that happens quite a bit. Right. But if, if you're always... No one will ever know why you do stuff, right? 
Mm-hmm. And this is going back to the the, the, the prison. Yeah. yeah. And and it's no one will ever know the true reasoning or mental capacity or cognitive ability or thought that you put into doing something. Right. Like my song that I wrote that uh Heartbroken on my YouTube. I actually didn't need to shout out my YouTube, I totally <laughs> forgot. Because if I get to a thousand subscribers, I can go on Apple Music. So oh. Jacob Holly, look up Lord Open Up Your Arms. It's pretty hype. I'm gonna be dropping a bunch of I have a bunch of like little songs that I didn't release because not gonna lie, like sometimes some parts of songs are really good and I just get bored with it so I don't finish it. <laughs> so I'm gonna make a playlist um, about all like the little minute to minute and a half, like little sections of songs that I made. Whatever ones you guys like up the most, I'm gonna make full covers of. Right. And it'll be super cool. Anyway. Yes, go go subscribe. Yes. Oh my gosh. But no one will know the intention of what is there? That song that I wrote, "Heartbroken," that piano instrumental piece. I don't know if you ever got the chance. To I did. To it was it. beautiful. The reasoning behind that is so much more, and so ingrained in me that no one else will ever be able to understand. Like right. you, you, like you could have like a fruition and an idea, in this lens of into me to understand what was into it. But you'll never understand what it truly was. The, the song "Lord, Open Up Your Arms." I, I wrote that one. And first line, let me trade your suffering for my joy. Mm-hmm. It's it's the eyes of God talking to his child. Mm-hmm. That was meant for Trey Clark and me taking what he was going through. And it was, you seem lost where I run away, leave behind your flaws. Your flaws is all the things that in your life that make your life hard. Right. What, why do you keep running from the people who love you and the people who want to sacrifice for you if you are always going to be broken? You know, mm-hmm. and so like you, you, people would never know the true emotion that I had writing that. Right. You know, and and you, no one will ever know, and and so that will always be an emptiness because someone would be like, "Oh, that song was great," but uh, they're never going to know exactly everything that I put into it. Right. And do I see it as something that's sad? No, because I see it as individuality, and I see something unique to me, although they can't relate to me, like to that intimate of a scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if you have similar experiences or what. Yeah. Like, no, completely. It's the most common place that I'll find that I experience something like that is through my conversations. And I know that sounds like an odd thing. Cause it's like, obviously in a conversation such as <laughs> you're sharing emotion and like, you're trying to understand each other. But I, I pour, this sounds super like cheesy and weird, no, no, but I but I pour so much of myself and like my emotion and who I am into every conversation that I have. Yeah. Like I, I do something very similar. Regardless of how long or how important the conversation is, especially like now, I want you to know that I care and that I'm involved in that conversation. And I find that other people probably won't be able to recognize that. Yeah. And it's really hard for people that, that don't do that to understand why I'm doing that or understand what I was feeling when I was doing that. But like, I mean, I've like, <laughs> I've like cried in conversations with my friends that just were not important. And it's because I'm like so involved and like, I want you to understand so bad that How? like all of a sudden it's just like, I, I can't, I'm so overwhelmed, you know? Yeah. And that's what's weird about crying. Yeah. Is like, it's not only for sadness, but it's for overwhelm. Crying is the response when your body is overwhelmingly experiencing something. Right. You so joy, regardless anger. of that pain, joy, anger, right. sadness. Right. And it's really weird because it's like I also find myself like crying in like really random times. Right. Um, 
and also like how I treat my issues in my life definitely don't help that to any degree. Um, but yeah, it's like weird. Like you, you see a friend who you haven't seen in a long time and you just start to cry and it's right. like, I'm not sad. It's, you know, like I'm you just know, happy to see you yeah. so much, but I can't even articulate it. Yeah. So the way that your body responds is to, is to cry. Yeah. And but, I, it's really beautiful thing. But, but that's the logical and physical explanation of an emotionally driven scenario. Right. And that's, that's why you can't divide them. Unintended Reformation, no idea what the book's about. Hope it's good. <laughs> but I need to read it. I'll let you know eventually. Dude. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What, what a conversation. I Yeah. It's an hour and a half. Oh. <laughs> Is that long? The longest one I've had has been an hour and 20 minutes. So it's not, it's, it's okay, long, so it's about... but it's not like unreal. Okay. Dude, that was awesome. That was good. That was one of my... I loved that conversation. I thought it was good. I thought, I thought we covered a lot. I also think it held value, as we mentioned earlier. Like, I, I want to make sure that the conversations that I have on here hold... Hold value and are applicable to people's lives. Exactly. And that was my goal coming in here. I want to share a little bit of who I am and what I care about to be able to help other people better themselves. And I think you did a terrific job. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate you coming. Man. Dude. Oh, it's awesome. It's only, was... only a 19-minute drive, so... <laughs> yeah. That I, should, was... I should have brought clubs. I that was a lot of fun. Yeah, we yeah. could have but yeah, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Jacob Hawley on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Please go get, please subscribe. Get me up, go listen. Dude. We're not, gonna not get, that the subscribers are music, but <laughs> I think it'd be pretty sick. Yeah, that'd but, be awesome. Yeah. But yeah, go go subscribe to Jacob and uh, thank you for coming on there. Awesome. Yeah, thank you.